The title, Bearing Witness to the Light, a biography of John the Baptist, what I'd like to do tonight is something a little different. I normally don't like to just read uh, some of the things that I have here before me, but I think it makes a lot of sense for the first portion of this, of this sermon. From the standpoint of making sure I don't miss some of these highlights of John the Baptist's life. You know, when we think about John the Baptist, most of the time he kind of gets put in the backside or behind the curtain, so to speak, and rightfully so. Because in, 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 standing beside him throughout his mission was Jesus Christ. That he, John was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. And so in the Gospels, Jesus and his mission work and his evangelism seems to overshadow John in a lot of ways. But John humbly works and does the mission that's set before him. And I think there's a lot of lessons to learn from John. And I hope tonight that we, we come away with several uh, that can be applied for us. But as you can see the outline there, we're going we're gonna to kind of go through some things. Um, for us to consider. I think it fits nicely for us in our consideration for the year uh, having to talk about a healthy church. Wes is already kind of getting into some of these things. But I think it makes a lot of sense for us to talk about the, the guy that was before that foundation that was built. And, and God saw it a purpose to send this individual because he had to prepare a people for this great Messiah that was to come. So, so what I want to do before we start unpacking this is I want to place ourselves in the prison cell of John the Baptist. Okay, this is right before his death. This is where we'll be sitting as we talk about John and as we start describing some things about him. John baptized hundreds, if not thousands, of souls. He remarkably did so without a display of miracles and without a grand appearance. His word shook the world. He was no doubt a powerful preacher, a fiery preacher, and he prepared the way for a coming Messiah. Matthew 11, 11 best describes it as Jesus' testimony of, of John. It says, Among them that are born of women, there has not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Pretty profound statement. Especially when you consider people like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and the list goes on. But yet, he praises John the Baptist as being the greatest that was before him at that time. Malachi spoke of John's coming, as did Isaiah, seven centuries before the birth of Christ. Isaiah 40, in verse 3, it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in a desert a highway for our God. John was born in the hill country of Judea to aged parents. Zacharias, a priest, and Mother Elizabeth, Elizabeth and Mary, being cousins of one another, made by relation Jesus and John cousins, John being six months older than Jesus. John was quick to point out later though in Scripture that Jesus came before him, uh, referring to that spirituality and that, the time of the beginning of the world creation. Luke's account tells us quite a bit about John. His birth is nothing more than a miracle. You see, his parents had, were, his mother was barren, and his parents were, always wanted a child. They prayed for a child constantly. And an angel come to Zacharias in the temple as he was burning incense and told Zacharias, you're going to have a child. And he was in disbelief, uh, so much so that I think he, that he was made mute. Uh, up until the point of when they asked about this child's name, Zacharias was able to speak, and he says his name should be John. John was to be filled with the Holy Spirit in, the, in his mother's womb. His entire life was to be to go, devoted to God. In fact, he was uh, to be raised in the strict code of a Nazarite. And if you don't know anything about the strict code, go to number, number 6. This was an enormous task of devotion and purity to God. 
It's quite interesting, rightfully so, that a man be as pure as he can and be as devoted as he can because of the purpose that John was set forth before, or the purpose set forth before him. This mission of paving and, and making a way for the Son of God. Luke 180 says, and the, and the child grew and waxed strong in the Spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. John dwelled in open spaces, uh, the desert, so to speak. And this is something that likely magnified his agony as he sat in prison towards the end of his life. If you think about it, being raised in the wilderness, being out in the open, probably likely living and sleeping under the stars, now John finds his days ticking away inside of a closed cell, dark, wondering why he's there and why, why his Lord had left him. <clears throat> Not to John's fault, um, there was a plan for John, just like there's a plan for each and every one of us. He favored Jesus in many ways, um, most and foremost of his, his devotion to God. But what was interesting to me in the character study for, for John the Baptist was his personality. I don't guess I ever really thought about it. John and, and Jesus were the same in their mission and their objective and goal. But when you look at the personalities of John the Baptist, he was very introverted. He kind of kept himself away. In fact, so much so that they actually criticized him about this. In Matthew eleven sixteen and 19, uh, they talked about John being reclusive and kind of being away. Uh, he was not kind of a people, you know, he wasn't an outgoer, being found at events and social activities. In contrast to that, Jesus, we know, always had a good balance of everything. He was found in social environments. He communed with people. And so Jesus understood also those, those moments of weakness and times of solitude when, when the occasion demanded it. But the wickedness, the wicked multitudes at that time, it didn't matter what personality Jesus had or John the Baptist had, they always found a reason, right? They always found a reason not to listen or to follow. Matthew 3, 4 tells us that John enters the scene wearing camel's hair garments, a leather belt with a diet of what typically the poor society would be eating, which is locust and wild, or wild honey and locust. He reminisced the Old Testament prophet, that of Elijah. He did not seek multitudes, yet he attracted them. His influence was phenomenal. His success is solely in the message he proclaimed. And God's hand was at work, and John was his instrument. I suppose we could sum up John's entire ministry in one word, preparer, or one who prepared. John 1, 29, 30, and verse 34, if you're following along. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John humbly understood his place, the magnitude of what was unfolding before his eyes and the preparations of this coming kingdom that I don't think that really anybody understood to, the, to fully. I don't think the apostles understood. I don't think the followers really understood what this kingdom would be about. People were expecting a physical kingdom. They were expecting all of these different things that they were accustomed to seeing or understanding from the Old Testament. John preached repentance, a baptism, preparing those who would be obedient. God used John to ignite a, cha a change in a people's mindsets from that of the Old Testament covenant in ways of remission of sins and ways of salvation that they, they were not familiar with. Luke 3, two, uh, verses 2 and 3, says the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
That concludes our life part of John the Baptist. Let's go to who did he come to prepare. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. If you will turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, I'd like for us to consider who John was and aspects of what we kind of can relate to today. Okay? Uh, and, and the only thing I could think of was, was, was you know how we, we see there's some architects in here, maybe some contractors and people who build houses and things of that nature. But I got to thinking about this, the verse there, and talks about Jesus being that foundation. And I contemplated on how we could, how we could relate that. And if, and if you can imagine the individual that goes in and starts removing trees and preparing the ground, the soil, bringing in the dirt, removing the dirt, trying to prep for this foundation to be laid, that, in a, in a nutshell, is John the Baptist and his mission work. His job was to remove these old ways and to prepare this, these people for this different mindset, this coming Messiah, this great, great thing that was fixing to take place that of the church body being established. In the above verse, it is evident who John influenced. He influenced not only the multitude during his sermons, but taught a way of thinking that was completely different than anyone had ever thought of before. John brought, in fact, the beginnings of the church. I often wonder, uh, we talked about this in some of the Bible studies I'm in, you know, you, when you think about John and what his mission was and the plan that he had, we, it's a... It's, it's a it's hard to argue baptism. John was the forerunner to Christ. What did he do? He baptized. Very, very, very same pattern that we see in the New Testament after the church was established. The difference, John was baptizing unto a coming church, unto a Savior. We baptize into what? Into Christ. Into the already fulfilled body. It's just a strong case, in my opinion, for baptism. From the position that John devoted his entirety to that, that one mindset, that one pattern, this one entry into the kingdom. Here we have John doing this to multitudes and multitudes, but yet whenever we get past the church establishment, baptism is just an afterthought sometimes. Ephesians 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glory, glorious grace, with which He has blessed us and the Beloved, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. We come to the kind of the, I would say, the, the center point of this whole lesson. Now, we've done a lot of looking at his, his, you know, John's background, a lot of the building up of his purpose being here. And, and here's, here's what really kind of brought me to bring in the lesson about John the Baptist, these two next, few, next two points. The least in the church is greater than he. I don't know about you, but that's pretty perplexing. When we read about these men in the Bible, these men who died, who gave up everything, a life of devotion 
from his mother's womb to the day that he died was nothing but devotion to God Almighty and the plan that he was sent to do. And we read in Matthew 11, 11, 11, it says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And a while ago we stopped right there. But let's finish that verse. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That is profound. I, I, don't, I, didn't know how, I don't know how to digest that. I still don't, even after studying this. But when we really think about these things, how could, how could the least of the kingdom of heaven be greater than John the Baptist? You rack your brain on these things. What, do, what did John lack? What, what did he come up short of? What does a Christian have that, that John could never have? And if you think about it, we have to listen very carefully. John never got to the cross. John never saw the magnitude of God's love. Can we understand that? I don't even know that I can even do a very good job articulating this or even presenting this to the depth, to the breadth, to the width, to the height of how important this is as members of the Lord's church. John never got to see it, y'all. We think about Moses standing on that hill, right, in the Old Testament. You remember this? He's standing on this hill, and he was not allowed to do what? He wasn't allowed to go into the promised land, was he? Here we find John the Baptist in a similar situation. He had devoted his life. He had given everything that he had. And now we are still sitting with John in this prison cell. John's got questions. We'll get them in a minute. But why is a Christian found to be more or greater than John the Baptist? It's not what I've done. It's not what you've done. It's what we have access to. It's what we are all a part of. It is the entity, the body of Jesus Christ, the church. We take for granted every minute of the day. We have John the Baptist sitting here pleading to be out of prison, to be a part of this group, this kingdom that is going to be established not long after he dies. He doesn't understand it. We're going, to, we're going to read here in a minute. We, we, John didn't understand it as full as, either, neither did the apostles, but he wanted to be a part of it. Why are we greater than John? Because we know the holiness of God. We know the justice of God. We know the love of God. And it took Jesus and his cross to show us the length, the breadth, the depth, the height, the magnitude of love. You know, if you think about it, it is a most amazing thing that it is possible for the least in this room of Bible knowledge to know more about God than the great prophets of the Bible. Do you realize that? This book right here will give us more information than the majority of all the prophets ever knew. And we take it for granted every second of our day. The man who has seen the cross has seen the heart of God. That is the core of this lesson. John never got there. He prepared a way to it. But we are greater than John because we are the body of Christ. And we embrace that. We understand that. We understand our obligation. Then it makes everything all the world different. Those sacrifices was not in vain. These people who lost their lives desiring, desiring to have a glimpse at these things were not in vain. 
He had a faith that was, that was coming was greater than he was. That's you and me, the church. Um, I don't know how to make that more spiritually intimate. Um, God loves every man. I was trying to figure out the best way to, how, how to explain this or how to describe what, what, what this means. And I don't know that words can. I think, I think the best thing that can is the cross. And I think Jesus' sacrifice pretty much sums it up. Thus the reason why it's commanded that we remember it every first day of the week. Why wouldn't you? We are the body of Christ. Let's take a look at John's death. This is an interesting verse, and actually it's often, it's often I wouldn't say debated, but there's different views on it. Three of which I know of, one of which I think and truly believe, uh, in, my, in, in, my, in my study, is, is the one that, um, that should, we're going to go with here tonight. John's death. Uh, Matthew 11, 2 through 3. Let's take a look at this. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now why on earth would a man who witnessed the baptism of Jesus, who witnessed the dove coming down, who witnessed all of these things, would ask such a question? Remember I said he didn't quite still understand the kingdom. John still had confusion. I believe we see John for what he, what he was, human like you and me, and after a great mission campaign, within, within arm's reach of that finish line that we've talked about, we find John here, a human. A man that sits in a jail cell in spiritual agony, confused in deep contemplation of his role, his life, and why God left him in the confines of a cell. He tries to understand what will this kingdom be like. He likely contemplates his work, reminds himself of the great things he witnessed of Jesus. He likely thinks about Jesus' baptism. The more he thinks about it, the more he's certain that this is the man, that this is the Son of God. This question was not one of despair, you see, or impatience, but it was the question of one whose eyes shone the light of hope and who needed confirmation of that hope in a time of despair. That was John the Baptist. You know, when I was talking to Wes about this, and we were talking about how profound these two points are, and being able to unpack all of this in one sermon is not, you can't even do it. You can't do it. We often find ourselves in a similar situation here. We have highs and lows in our spirituality, do we not? We think God should act and do things according to the way that we think they should go and ought to be done. Our prayer life typically consists of asking God for things to go a certain way, do they not? Mine does. They don't always go the, the way that we want them to go. Which leads us to Christ's response to this question that John asked. In Matthew eleven four through 6, it says, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who has not stumbled by me. Now I put stumbled there because that is the definition of that word. Your Bibles may in fact say offended. That is a pretty interesting verse there. I don't know if you've ever read past that and not paid attention to it. That is a very interesting verse in the context of where John's at and the question that he asked. Jesus told them to tell John in what he was doing, not in what he was saying. By this, John would know, and Jesus knows that our actions is our greatest discipleship. Jesus ends in verse 6, which is very telling of John. And he's, I'm going to repeat the verse, and blessed is the one who is not stumbled by me. Jesus tells John not to be stumbled in how the kingdom should come. Perhaps John had a preconceived idea of how he thought 
this kingdom would be delivered. There was much confusion among the Christ followers. Jesus is saying, blessed is the man that isn't offended in how I choose to make this so. How I choose to make this path, this kingdom, how it unfolds. Blessed is the man that does not stumble in these things. Sometimes a man can be offended or stumble at Jesus because Jesus cuts across his ideas of what religion should be. Can we understand that? Sometimes God chooses a way we don't understand or we even agree with sometimes. So John sits and tries to overcome this in this jail cell. Jesus quickly commends John to the highest level, though. We've already read that passage of Scripture, placing him above all the prophets. It wasn't until when, Acts 2, right? The church was established to when we start. They started understanding the kingdom. They started understanding the dynamics of all of these things. This is the story of John, the magnitude of what he did in preparing the world of a coming Messiah, of a coming Christ. John was beheaded for standing against divorce and remarriage. His head was brought on a platter to the wicked daughter of Herodias. I don't know what better picture can be painted for sin than that right there. There are so many similarities we could compare between him and Jesus. We're not going to do that tonight. We don't have the time. But John paved the way even in his death. Don't mistake that John's death was not an example. Don't mistake that John's life, the end of his life, was not a pace or a tone to be set for the apostles and what they were fixing to be up against. Mark 6, 29, it says, When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. John left these budding apostles in the first century church with a, with a, with a great example in devotion and servitude. We're going to close with this. It's from Zechariah. It's, it's a prophecy of John. I'm going to read it. It's in Luke 1, 76-79. If you'd like to turn there real quick. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, mind you, this was a prophecy at the beginning of John's ministry, leading up into it. And I got to thinking, let's reread verse 79. To give light to those who do what? Sit in darkness. In the shadow of what? Death. To guide our what? Feet into where? A way of peace. That was the death of John the Baptist. That was John sitting in the cell. That was John asking the question. That was Jesus' reply. And what was the outcome of that? Peace. You can't go in to an execution without that as a Christian, not standing up for Christianity. You have to have the peace of Christ, the knowing of our eternity with Him one day. I close with this, and the lesson will be yours. Number six says, and this is interesting, this is something I found at the end of this lesson, it was pretty profound. In number six it says, Now this is the law of a Nazarite. When the period of their dedication is over, they are to be brought to the entrance to the tent of meeting. There they are to present the offering of an unblemished lamb. Did you hear what I just said? An unblemished lamb. 
we can gladly and thankfully say that John indeed fulfilled his role in delivering the greatest of all unblemished lambs, Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope you, I hope you came away with something tonight that, that drives us to be a better Christian, that allows us to appreciate what these men died for, what they desired to see and attain, but never could. There's a lot of lessons in John, more than I actually thought before going into this. And I teach the Wednesday night class on the church, and I started digging into the foundation of the church, and I went across John, I'm like, man, this guy's interesting. And I started digging into all these little facts about John, and, and pretty soon I'm left with a, an example that is just amazing for us as Christians. His example of devotion and sacrifice, his devotion to God in times of trial, I hope tonight this has left you with something to take into the world as we go to, 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 our, uh, to our jobs and to, the, to our, our many areas that we face this week. If you're here tonight and you you're, have not obeyed the gospel, the gospel that John started to pave the way for, the plan, the salvation that we find in Acts 2, first and foremost, being baptized into the body, the body that John wanted to see but never got to see, we have that opportunity tonight to do so if, if you have not done that. We, we've baptized one today already. And if you need the prayers of the church, this is also an opportunity to come. As together we now stand and we sing.